You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast. Welcome your hosts, Mary Thangval, Jason Hand, Sarah Jane Morris, and PJ Haggerty. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Community Pulse. Uh, We're excited to be here today. It's myself, PJ, with Jason and Mary, and we're talking to Elizabeth and Karen about developer relations and developer marketing. Um, This might sound a little less than humble, but I wrote an article a little while back kind of comparing the two things and pointing out that it's not an apple and oranges comparison. It's more like an apple and race cars comparison. Uh, And that's not to say that these things are not important. There is a difference between them, but sometimes it's hard to find what they mean. Where do they overlap? Why is, why is it so important that they work together in unison? Um, so of course, we found the best people we possibly could to talk about this. So please welcome to the show, Elizabeth Kinsey and Karen White. Go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hey, uh, thanks for having us. Uh, so I'm Karen White. I'm a developer marketing manager at Raza. Um, so we're a developer tools company built around an open source project. So we've got a very active community of developers all around the world. Uh, who use Raza. And before I joined the marketing team at Raza, I was a developer advocate at BigCommerce. Hi, everybody. I'm Elizabeth Kinsey, and I'm a senior marketing manager at Slack. Slack is a channels-based collaboration platform, which I hope I got right. Um, It's our new way of describing what Slack is. So Uh, testing it out on you all. I run our uh, community efforts, so our in-person and virtual events, and then also our Slack community workspace, and work really closely with our developer relations team and our engineering team um, to help deliver our developer tools out to the market. That's awesome. And I, and I think the key thing that, that you both mentioned is you work closely with developers, which I think is a, a key to developer relation. I mean, it's kind of in both titles, the whole developer market developer is kind of the key. And after 45 episodes or so, we feel like we definitely have a decent handle on what developer relations is. But like, what is developer marketing? Like, what does it mean? What does it encompass? Why isn't it just marketing as opposed to developer marketing? Sure. I mean, so when we say developer marketing, we're talking about, you know, marketing a technical product to a developer end user, Um, you know, and because your end user is a developer, you adjust your message, you adjust your approach, um, you know, so it it differentiates developer marketing between, say, like B2B marketing, for example. It's not kind of that like hypey, like aspirational type of marketing you know, you're taking kind of like more of a fact-based approach. You're like informing about the product. Um, So your messaging and your positioning, you know, it's more about like logic and straightforwardness. That makes sense. I think also um, when you think about developer marketing versus developer relations, there's the audience size that you're reaching. So I think developer relations, oftentimes um, you're building more individual relationships with people. Um, That's part of the relations part. And in developer marketing, you're certainly taking those messages um, that are coming from those relationships, but you're delivering them in mass. Yeah, I would definitely echo that. I mean, as a former developer advocate, a lot of um, the events that I would do, a lot of what I would do was very, like it was coming from me personally. It was a conversation between me and developers in the community. Whereas a lot of the communication that I do as a developer marketer, um, it's very one-to-many, right? Like it's kind of a broadcast about the product. So in some ways, there, there are some, you know, 
kind of usual marketing techniques you 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 use like you know broadcasting to a large base um instead of the one-to-one thing but at the same time you kind of avoid other things like we were we were chatting beforehand about you know when someone hears marketing especially people in technology they hear the word marketing their first assumption is uh man leisure suit used car crappy used car trying to sell you something you don't want and they don't want the sale um and i think that's something a lot of people in devrel are easily able to avoid but how do you kind of avoid that horrid stereotype um when when you run into people in the community who are like oh you're in marketing and they they i mean people can discount you and that's not fair um so how do you kind of like you know overcome that automatic stereotype because the word marketing is in your title mm-hmm yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there is a resistance to the word marketing among developers. I mean, I also think as a developer marketer, I think we've gotten pretty good at our craft. <laughs> um, so a lot of those stereotypes, you know, kind of the used car salesman, you know, just like pushing the enterprise product. Um, I'm not sure that that's really uh, so represented these days. Um, I think, you know, a lot of what developer marketing looks like today are you know, really great events for the community. Um, it looks like really great content that actually helps developers do their jobs better. I was just gonna say, Karen, I love what you were saying earlier about the, you know, you're doing a far more fact-based marketing approach rather than here's all the bells and whistles and here's the exciting things and here's the shiny new stuff. And I think that says a lot to knowing who your audience is, right? If you're selling to someone who's used to hearing all the bells and whistles and wants to know all the fancy things and you want to attract them to your product, that's one thing. But getting the developers on board requires the more, here's what we can actually do for you. Here's the problems we can solve. Here's the solutions that we have. And like you said, developer relations, we're doing that on a one-to-one basis at conferences, in forums, in um online conversations on twitter like whatever it is but we tend to be having those on a more one-to-one basis where you're doing it one to many i think also there's kind of to that point the transparency of saying yeah i am a marketer like this is i am gathering this information so that i can bring you better services better products i want your feedback tell me why this is not a um, a good message or why you didn't like it. Like if, if you hate my emails, tell me why and let me help to fix it. And don't ever, I don't, I think for me, like trying to represent myself ever as a developer, it would be ridiculous or trying to act like I know something technically that I don't know. Um, and so I think also just being really transparent about that uh, helps to assuage that sort of used car salesman um worry is like nope i'm a real person just like you this is just my job um and this is how it's i'm going to build it so that it helps you i i do have to say it's interesting to me based solely on the little bit of descriptions you've both given right like karen you have a developer advocate background elizabeth i believe you used to have a community manager title yeah and i run our community stuff so yeah right so it's it's interesting to me i wonder if part of this split is company-based where like some companies have just said hey look community managers are now developer marketing and developer advocates are the developer relations team whereas there's other teams like my team at Comunda, we have developer experience and community and developer advocates all under the same umbrella and we work very closely with our product marketing team and the rest of the marketing team in other ways but i wonder if part of this is just terminology and titles and splitting things up based on 
technical versus not technical, which you've talked about a number of times before. Any thoughts around that? Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's a huge amount of variety from company to company. I mean, comparing my experience doing developer relations at BigCommerce, um, we were actually under the same part of the organization that did documentation. Um, so we worked most closely with the product team. We worked most closely with developer support and marketing as well, but it wasn't our primary focus. But I think partly because BigCommerce uh, developers are not their primary end user. They're a secondary user, right? Because it's a platform company. So your interest in developers is mainly around like increasing adoption among your APIs, its ecosystem, its agency partners. Um, but the developer is like not really your end user. And so that's not who the marketing team is focused on necessarily. Um, compare that to a company like Raza where um, our product is essentially a Python library for machine learning. You have to be a developer to use the product. Um, and so by extension, our marketing team is quite technical. We have former engineers on our marketing team. Um, and so it's a very different way of, of approaching it. I think that's a really astute point. Um, you know, I, I sit technically on the product marketing team, and um, which is part of the overall marketing team, but officially I'm on the platform marketing team. And Slack is both a platform, but also a lot of the people who use Slack or bring Slack to a company to start off with are the developers. They're DevOps, they're engineers, they're people who are building things for their company and then end up building on Slack. And so for my team, a lot of what we do, especially for product marketing and the broader marketing team is help them understand in the same way that we are marketing specifically to developers. We are in many ways conduits for how should this message be carried out to developers? What are the things that you're doing um, that are you know, product-based that are important that developers know whether they're building on Slack for their team or for um, an app as like their business. So help, it's also, there's an internal marketing that goes on that I think um, DevRel tends to do more with like product feedback, whereas the internal side that I am doing is much more like, this is how people view our platform and this is the kind of messaging, like we were saying, where it's like, you know, be clear, transparent, educational, that you need to deliver to this type of audience. So I think for our team, it really is that hybrid. Yeah, I would say another difference too between, you know, like a more platform company and like a developer tools company is kind of that question of like, who owns the relationship with developers? Because at a platform company where you're focused on APIs and it's not your primary user, developer relations really kind of can say, yeah, we own that relationship with developers and making sure that we're building the product in the right way for our developers and communic communicating about the product to developers. Um, but in a developer tools company, kind of everybody owns that relationship. You know, whether you're sales or marketing or product, you know, the developer is the only user. So everybody needs to kind of be an expert on that developer user. That makes sense. And I, I think it's, it's interesting because I think that, uh, you know, again, when you, when you look at a classic classic concept of marketing, as opposed to what you're doing, you wouldn't think, you know, most marketing folks, yes, they are kind of focused on the end user, but usually the end user is a consumer of some sort, someone who's going to, you know, you, you, you know, 
use the phone or use the product or use the hardware, whatever it is that you're selling them. And I think that the the marketing in a lot of places, Jason and I were actually talking about this earlier, marketing in the regular consumer space has changed a lot, you know, especially over the years with, you know, as people aren't getting the advertisements and things like that, that are the most common in marketing platforms um, as they usually would, because, you know, they're streaming things. People don't have cable anymore. Um, and I'm seeing like fewer and fewer advertisements, but the advertisements I do see are going so far out to be like, watch me and check this out and look at this. Um, as we're moving into a time when, you know, cause right now we're, we're all in kind of a lockdown phase. Um, and there's a lot of virtual conferences versus in-person conferences. Are you seeing your channels for marketing opportunities to developers, which is already a small group of people to begin with? Um, are you seeing that more difficult? Is it more difficult now to get your message to them than it was say when there were in, in real life events going on, or is it, is it actually easier because they're kind of in place and stationary? it's easier i think it's just different um the the channels are the same the way that you're using and leveraging them have to change and adapt i think that when you have in-person events there um there is that opportunity for that face-to-face connection and building that relationship in a way that is very difficult to do online or virtually um unless you adjust the way that you're doing it and so i think for i think also where we are, we're at Slack, we're very, very fortunate that this is a product that people are really using right now. So we're not having a hard time. There's not a hard time to get the message out. It's more making sure that what that message is, is the right thing and the most useful. Um, And that even though like we're still seeing our community wants to hold meetups, a lot of them are involved in virtual hackathons. And so they're looking to us for guidance and support. So I think that it's just different. It's not harder or easier. Um, it's just really different. And it's a you have to adapt the kind of messaging. And I think also the other thing is there's a lot of people who are losing their jobs right now. And there's a lot of people who are looking um, to these communities that are already, I think developer communities tend to be pretty tight-knit and people have really invested their time and relationships. And so I think that there's a lot of support that's happening naturally and a lot of conversation that's happening naturally um, as that happens. I wanna jump on something to add on on to that and and come back to what PJ was referring to when we were discussing marketing and how it's evolved uh, to where, especially for those people who spend a lot of time on Netflix and some of the paid streaming services, cut the cord type of people, you just don't see as much of the old fashioned type of advertising. Um, Of course, that's, you know, targeted towards people that are supposed to be watching TV. That's not always our audience. Um, But I think, you know, when he's saying you just don't see the advertisements in, you know, in the social media or in, in our faces as often, I don't know that I totally agree. I just think it's a different type of advertising, I think it's a different type of marketing, just like what you were saying, um, Elizabeth, is that we gotta get creative, and I think you're starting to see companies use you know, more influencer type of approaches, use um, just more event-based approaches, where it's not, um, it's not the old-fashioned way, and I think there's still a lot of people who have these negative connotations towards marketing about bringing messages in that just don't really, um, speak to them the way they, they want to be spoken to in the channel, in, in the way that they want to be spoken to. 
And now that the events are going away, or at least adjusting and evolving, we don't get those face-to-face conversations with people at events to, you know, have that. It, it still falls under marketing, you know, whether we want to or not. But we are we're communicating information to others just by having a conversation. And all of that's evolving. So anyway, I don't know if I had a point in there other than I, I do think marketing <laughs> is still in there. It's just, it's, it's disguised or it's a, it's a different thing that we don't perhaps notice or it doesn't bother us as much. And I think the companies that are realizing that are leveraging that is that we don't have to take the old school pat, you know, the, uh, car on the top and say, you know, PJ can do that whole thing better than I can. But um, I don't think that that's the way everybody sees it. But I think that there is that stereotype when, um, I remember me as someone working at Victrops. I would see a message that was about to go out in some sort of blast email and have to like run over and say, wait, can we just like rethink one portion of this? Um, and I think that that's always still going to be very necessary. You got to have the people who are your audience, who are probably just in a different part of the building, have some sort of say in what your marketing is, is going to put out. Yeah, oh, always. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be close collaboration with, with product, with engineering to make sure that you're, you know, pulling out the best like benefits and the value of the product and you're getting that message right. Um, but I would also say, I mean, you talk about things like blast emails, like one of kind of those core tenets of marketing is that if you're going to ask for somebody's attention, you have to give them something of value. And, you know, I, I know speaking from like my experience on developer marketing teams, blast emails, like social ads, <laughs> those just kind of aren't channels that we use at all. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's just not, not effective for a developer audience. Um, the kinds of things that are effective, long form pieces of content, educational videos, in-person workshops, you know, events with speakers um, that are talking about something that's relevant to your work. So those are really like the channels that we would, that we would target. It's a finicky audience. I mean, I get upset when I see ads following me around because I just, it just, re, I just suddenly realized, dang it, I'm being, I'm being tracked. They've targeted me, <laughs> and actually, I don't want your service now, even though I was kind of thinking about it. And I think that's a big difference between developer marketing and developer relations. I'm like, oh, cool. How are you doing that? Like, what? <laughs> how did? How are you able to pinpoint my interest? And like, what was the thing that triggered you to serve me that ad? And like. What happens when I click on it and what do you do? I'm interested in those mechanics because I want to know what they're doing wrong and what they're doing right. And so I think that like for me, I look at it, it's when I get some of those, um, especially except for if it's like something where I was like, all I did was think about that. How did you know? That's creepy. <laughs> it's like it's a, in a conversation and you like you haven't looked for it at all. That stuff's creepy. But for me, like if I went and searched on a website and accepted cookies and like went through that process and then you show up when I'm searching later on down the line, I think more from the marketing angle of like, would this be an effective tool for me to use to reach an audience? And why did you choose this particular website to deliver this ad? Um, What's the connection? What's the relevance? So maybe that's one difference too. No, I think you're very right about that. I mean, that kind of um, like metrics driven, like experimental sort of like approach to marketing is super, super interesting to me. You know, if we change the wording on this call to action button, can we get 20% more people to click it? Like that really is super interesting, you know, and those results indicate that 
you know, something that you're doing is resonating with your audience. Well, it, it's interesting too, because I, I've noticed, um, like we talked about blast emails, but to even put the, even the personalized emails, like the language in them has changed over the years. And I'm going to say people like you, the two of you seem to be very in tune with what developers want to hear. So you understand probably how to write an email to a developer. So if you phrase it along lines of like, Hey, you know, this is Karen, this is Elizabeth. Could you do me a favor? Like, I know you've worked with the API before. I know you've done this and that. Um, could you like fill out this survey real quick to give me a little more information about what you thought? That is more likely to get me involved in like, hey, we may have run into each other at the blah, 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 blah event. It'd be cool if you could fill out this survey. We'll send you a $50 Amazon gift card. It's like, in the first situation, uh, I didn't yeah. even care if there was a gift card. I was like, oh, well, I'm just helping out people in my community. And I feel like, Developer marketing, at least the way you're describing it, has the same feel as developer relations and that it's community driven. It's, it's the idea of supporting people. But at the same time, and this is kind of where I may have gotten into a little trouble uh, in the article that I wrote, was pointing out that marketing has a very different end goal, though, than developer relations. Um, like in, to use Mary's phrase and a phrase I've heard from a lot of people in DevRel, we measure success in hugs and high fives, or we did before COVID. Um, and the world has changed now, but we measure success in hugs and high fives. Marketing generally measures success in market qualified leads. Um, would you say that's still the end goal of developer marketing or is it slightly different? I think it's different. Karen, yeah, what do you I would think? say it's different too. I would say that people outside of marketing tend to think that marketing is only focused on MQLs. <laughs> um, and while it is metrics driven and you know there are kind of like more quantifiable metrics than say like hugs and high fives. Um, it, you can't really necessarily just boil it down to MQLs. So I have an interesting observation. I, first of all, have loved the viewpoints of both of you, Karen and Elizabeth, just from the standpoint of like, no, we know that stuff doesn't work for developers. We know that like this, you know, quote unquote, traditional marketing of, advertisements and bulk emails and referring to everyone in the same voice and all of that isn't effective. And the interesting flip side of that to me is that I am hearing all of the things that I love to hear from the two of you and yet have a fair amount of experience working with marketing teams who focus solely on social ads and the bulk emails and the, you know, only looking at the call to action and how many people opened and how many MQLs we got as a result of that, or only looking at leads from conferences and things for technical developer-focused companies. So I'm curious to see if you think, because you both come from a more community developer-focused background rather than a traditional, always been a marketer background, does it seem to be trending toward more developer-focused marketing and developer marketing rather than quote-unquote traditional marketing in most tech companies? Or do we still have that divide of like some tech companies are very MQLs are the thing that we are judged on. That's the only thing we go for with no relationship building. I think that divide absolutely still exists. I think that there are companies who are ahead of the curve and um, who are measuring on more than that or have specialized into um, that is what demand gen is measured on. And for, I think a lot of tech companies, demand gen is um, 
Like there's no distinction between what kind of a role that you have within that marketing team. So if you are doing developer marketing, but you are sort of just part of a generalized marketing team and part of that is demand gen, your end goal will probably still end up being MQLs or um, opportunities created, something like that. If you're in a different part of the funnel, if you are um, kind of end users, if you are looking at adoption metrics, if you are looking at um, kind of CSAT or NPS, then those are going to be things that influence your goals and your and your KPIs more so than MQLs. And I think for kind of where I like, I've been on both sides. I've been on that developer. You know, we are when I worked at previously at a company called Branch, our primary office, um, audience was initially app developers. So it was, I mean, that's all like we were. And so I think it also goes back to the point Karen was making earlier about um, whether or not you are, your end user is the developer that you're marketing to, or if it is part of a platform offering. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, when you're on a marketing team where there are more specialized roles or even more specialized departments where you have a demand gen team and a marketing automation team, those sit in a different place than a developer marketing specific role probably would. And I agree, I see developer marketing as being more top of funnel, more focused on adoption. And so you're more focused on metrics around content creation, page views, um, did people find our getting started page helpful? than you are necessarily about something farther down the pipeline at moving people onto sales. So I have an interesting follow-up question that you may or may not have answers to, and it's fine if you don't, but I'm curious if someone is applying to a job or looking at a company where they see, you know, the marketing team is solidly demand gen, looking at leads and opportunities and things like that, and very focused on the, the buyer, not the end user, is there a spot for a developer marketer title within the developer relations team to kind of be the intermediary between the DevRel team and the marketing team with regard to handling those communications to customers and things like that? It's an interesting question. Yeah, are you talking about a situation where the developer is the buyer? Because that's uh, a little... I can see. <laughs> I could see it where the you know the the buyer might be a tech lead or a technical executive, but not necessarily the the buyer being the developer themselves who's going to wind up using the product. Mm -hmm. See, I, th I think that's interesting because one of the things that I've always focused on being a developer advocate or evangelist or whatever the hell title I'm wearing today um, is the focus has always been on getting the information to the developer who will then go and tell the tech lead or the, the, the CTO, whoever it is that's going to sign the check. This is awesome. And I, and I like, I'm curious to, to know Elizabeth and Karen, what you think, if that's the same for developer marketing, because they're the person that they're, they're, they're going to champion, if you will, what's going on at the company. They're going to champion the use of the tool or the product or whatever it is. They might not be the ones paying, but they still remain the target, right? No, that's correct. I mean, that's very much how we look at it, that developers, adoption within a company is very like bottom-up grassroots um, you get developers to love your tool then they champion for it within the organization that being said they're not necessarily the decision maker they're an influencer and they're the end user um, but not necessarily your buyer does that mean that the 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 um, 
is there a handoff? Is there a, at some point that someone is targeting the buyer? And at that point you step away and say, that's for someone else to focus on. We, we've, we've done our, you know, our task here to speak to the developers and let them champion it. Whatever happens from here is somebody else's problem. It would typically be a different role in the marketing team who's focused more on a business end user or the decision maker. Well, I think also by the time you get to the decision maker, depending on where, how your funnel is built out and like where your handoff is, like that's when it's going to go to sales. And it's no matter if you're right. dev or dev advocate or dev marketing or wherever you are, that's out of your hands regardless. I think there is a point though where um, to that to the question that you asked Mary about, is there room on a developer relations or advocate team for developer marketing if you are not, if that is not the end user? And I think even if there is, depending on what that specific team or that company is, is doing, I think what's important, and I think it would be really interesting, but I think what's important is at that point, you would really need to define roles and responsibilities and you know what are specific projects that would be marketing versus um, developer advocates or developer relations because I think it could get muddy if you didn't have really clear outlines of what your goals were and what the projects that you worked on were for. So I would be fascinated to hear from each of you since you've come from developer relations teams and are now solidly on a marketing org and, and doing developer marketing would you ever go back to a DevRel team? Or have you kind of found your niche in developer marketing? Would you rather stay there? I think I, I would absolutely go back to a DevRel team. I think that the type of work that I'm doing <clears throat> right now, where it is so focused around community building and community programs, um, I think community teams generally tend to shuffle around anyway. So, I'm, I don't I don't see that I really have a choice. It's like where in the business does this does this support right now? And then you end up on that team. Um, but I think if it if I if someone was like pick out of door these three doors, which is the magic one you want to walk through, I would be happy to walk through the DevRel door. So for you, it's far more focused on the the function of the job, not the title. Yeah, like you want to keep working with community members. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Doesn't doesn't matter where I sit or what you what you call me. This is the thing yeah. that I like to do, where I feel like I'm making at least some progress and difference. Love it, Karen. What about you? Yeah, I definitely would too. Um, I think part of the reason why I'm so happy in my role right now is that, you know, in some ways my day to day looks very much like it did when I was a developer advocate. You know, I'm still talking to developers. I'm still leading workshops. I'm still writing technical content. Um, so it's not a huge, huge departure, honestly, from what I was doing as a developer advocate. Um, but yeah, I would, I would definitely go back. All right. Now we're going to move into checkouts, uh, at the right time, not preemptively. Uh, so this is the par part of the show where I think all of our listeners know this is your chance to hear some things that we've been checking out or things that are interesting, whether it's related to the topic or not kind of not the point. Um, it's really to, to, to point out the fact, in my mind, at least I've always looked at checkouts as the time to, to say, listen, we're human and we have interest in things outside of work. So here's some cool things that are going on and I will start off and then I'll toss it over to Karen or Elizabeth. I'll, I'll let you two fight it out while I'm talking. Ready, go. Um, so anyway, my checkouts this week, uh, it was a little while ago, but uh, Riza from the Wu-Tang Clan, 
uh, actually came out with a guided meditation album sponsored by Tazo T. It is available on Spotify. I've been listening to it for a couple of weeks and it is amazingly fantastic and relaxing. Um, you wouldn't think so because this guy, he is, he's a hardcore rapper and he's an amazingly talented human being. And I highly recommend it. He starts with distraction and goes through to get you nice and calm. I think it's like 25, 30 minutes long, but it's a nice guided meditation with a very smooth voice. Um, so that's awesome. Uh, I know that it's kind of fallen out of favor a little bit, but another thing that people have been using is uh, if you remember Turntable FM, but from back in the day, a great way for remote workers to get together and share music. Um, some people have kind of taken that idea and created a thing called Ox Party. Ox Party is a way to kind of link to your Spotify if you're using Spotify or SoundCloud if you prefer and play tracks in that kind of turntable FM rotating DJ style. You get little icons, you get little avatars, and it's a lot of fun. Um, if you've been kind of craving that inter-office interaction and you're not getting it, this is a great tool for you. Um, the other thing that uh, the final checkout that I have is the awesome Jen Myers newsletter. Some of you have met Jen Myers, um, I'm sure out in the community. She's a great speaker, an amazing designer, amazing developer. Uh, but she also has a newsletter called The Modern Adventurous. And I highly recommend checking it out. It always has great articles, great stories, and wonderful things uh, that she writes up. I think it's, it's pretty much like it's, it's once a week or once every couple of weeks, but it's absolutely amazing. And you should check that out from Jen Myers. Uh, all the links to all these things will, of course, be in the show notes. Uh, Karen, Elizabeth, who's going? <laughs> uh, I'll go. I'm definitely going to have to try that meditation app. Um, so my checkout is a podcast that I've been listening to for a while, but I've been really, really appreciating it kind of in the last few weeks. Um, so it's called It's Been a Minute with Sam Sanders. Um, and especially like the weekly wrap episodes on Friday. On Tuesday, they do kind of like a one-on-one -on -one interview, but the Friday weekly wrap uh, is really nice. So it's basically like a news talk show podcast from NPR. Um, they have guests on, they talk through kind of like the week's news. Um, and, you know, <laughs> in these times, uh, it's like a news podcast that leaves you feeling like really hopeful, really connected, um, which is not always the case. Um, so it's good commentary, but the best part is at the end, they play clips of listeners sharing the best thing that happened to them all week. Um, and it's just very lovely. So that's my recommendation. Awesome. Elizabeth, you're up. So I have to admit that the only thing that I care about right now is the new Fiona Apple album that just came out, um, which, but I, I know PJ, you reminded me that, uh, that it is the first album on to get a 10 out of 10 pitchfork review in many, many, many moons, many years. So um, and it's well-deserved. I started listening to it uh, on Saturday and I have not stopped listening to it since then, except for to do this podcast. Which, which is, to be honest, it's not because the album's that long. It's just no. that as soon as you're done, you want to go back to track one and do it again. Exactly. Uh, if it was and that then, long, that'd be scary. Whew. Yeah. Two, two other real quick ones. Um, Lauren Duca's newsletter, Pancake Brain. Um, Lauren Duca is an activist, a writer, and um, her weekly newsletter is a delight in my inbox. And then another newsletter, um, which is written by a woman out of Toronto. Um, her name is Sarah Stockdale, and it is called We Need to Talk About This. And both of them are um, just wonderful little nuggets of good things and clarity and all the all the wonderful self-care tips without any of the toxic positivity <laughs> i love that i like the concept I of toxic that. positivity 
seriously. <laughs> I didn't, I'm stealing it from someone else. I didn't, I got it. It's not my phrase. I'm taking it, but I agree. Well, now that, oh, now that we've recorded it, it is officially attributed, attributed to Elizabeth Kinsey, copyright yes. 2020, <laughs> trademark registered. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I'll jump in next. So I've got a couple things. Um, one is a podcast that I've mentioned here before that they have now turned into a graphic novel. So if you remember, gosh, probably last year, I mentioned a podcast called Adventure Zone, which is a D&D podcast that three brothers and a dad go through. Um, and they're Skyping as they're playing this D&D podcast. So there's a lot of like back and forth and banter between them, as well as just phenomenal storytelling. Um, so if you happen to listen to that, or even if you didn't, they now have two graphic novels that are based on the podcast. Um, I think there's maybe three more to come, but it's each of the like segments of adventure, the D&D segments that they're walking through. So Mary, um, real, real quick, should we be doing a graphic novel of this podcast? No. <laughs> okay, fair. Fair enough. All right, done. Carry on. Sorry then. if that was too quick of an answer. <laughs> um, you, can, you can be the villain. The, there you go. Um, the first one is called Here There Be Gerblins. Um, I'll put a link to the, to the graphic novel up on Amazon uh, in the show notes. Um, the next one is a podcast that, similar to what you mentioned, Karen, has been one that I've really been relying on for kind of the latest information. Um, I know a lot of us have taken to kind of picking and choosing what information we are listening to and what information we're taking in these days. Um, and The Daily has been one that's been really good. It's a New York Times produced podcast. Um, and it's one that I've loved for months, way prior to any COVID related things. Um, but they do a great job of highlighting some, some interesting feature stories and interesting things that are going on around the world, as well as kind of focusing in on what do these things mean. Um, and lately, they've been doing highlights of COVID-related things, as well as um, special segments that they're intentionally doing for, like, distractions. So fun stories or fun just random things. They did a um, the history of, oh, I'm going to forget what it is. The, the little sea creatures, the brine creatures that you get in the mail and put water into to wake sea them monkeys? back up again. Sea monkeys. They did one about like the legal battle that happened around sea monkeys a few years back. Um, anyway, so that's been an awesome one. And then, of course, I'm sure many of you have heard of some good news. Uh, but if you have not, John Krasinski is amazing um, and has been compiling these YouTube news segments, I think, once a week. Uh, I think he's on episode four now. So it's just been a fantastic fantastic glimpse at some of the good ways that people are interacting and some of the awesome things that are happening around the world. That, that leaves me. Leaves me. Um, I have a book I've been reading. It's actually a, a whole series. So for the sci-fi readers out there, if you're looking for something fun, uh, the Red Rising series is really cool. It's pretty much Game of Thrones in space. Um, and at least the first episode, the first book is, is, uh, is in Mars. So thus Red Rising. Um, second one is I'm halfway through it's, uh, a lot of action. I don't know. It's just kind of a fun sci-fi book, which I haven't read a lot of fiction in, in years. So anyway, that's a good one. And then the other one, um, is really more of like a game, especially something uh, you could play with others right now. <clears throat> but, um, if you go to three, six, five, meaningful conversations.com, I think that's the only place you can order it, but there's this little game set that you can get 
And I love the questions that they, they have on here. They're really just intended to spark uh, a good, like not small talk, like a good connection conversation with people. And there's 365 different conversation ideas and each of them come with a quote. And I've got this, uh, I'll just read one of my favorite ones here that I keep on my desk. But the question is, what group of people changing the world do you want to be a part of? And then um, you pitch that question to somebody. You know, you go around. So uh, there's a bunch of different ways people are kind of playing the game. But then I also love that they always have a quote on the other side. And the quote for this one is, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. So anyway, it's just a fun, fun little game. And um, I know we're all looking for ways to connect and uh, entertain ourselves. So that's a good one. Um, and that's all I've got. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, Jason. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Elizabeth and Karen, for being a part of this. This is awesome. I think we opened a lot of, I'm hoping that we opened a lot of eyes to what developer marketing is. And, and maybe people can do away with some of those stereotypes we talked about and start embracing what developer marketing really can be. So thank you both for being here. Uh, thank you for everybody who's listening. Uh, please always, you know, feel free to send us uh, feedback. We are at community underscore pulse on Twitter. You can find us on your favorite podcast location, send reviews, send comments. We're always happy to entertain ideas. Uh, so for Mary and Jason and SJ, who's not here today, thank you very much. Uh, and as always, we close with a wonderful quote. And I feel like it would be really inappropriate if it wasn't from the RZA after he put together that wonderful guided meditation. So really simple and straightforward from RZA. Inspiration is found everywhere if you look hard enough. Thank you, and we'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to The Community Pulse. Find out more at communitypulse.io, on Twitter at community underscore pulse, or anywhere you get your favorite podcasts.